Another step in the game Here to bring the heat Texas 22 We on the beat Leo and BT Hosting this show Talking X's and O's We letting y'all know Texas 22 Breaking it down Podcast got the city vibing to the sound Special guests dropping live, it's so true Houston, Texas, damn, this one's for you Texas 22, breaking it down Podcast got the city vibing to the sound Special guests dropping live, it's so true Houston, Texas, damn, this one's for you What's going on, guys? We get to celebrate an amazing victory right before New Year's. I hope you all enjoyed the game because I was just laughing, smiling, just enjoying the whole thing, drinking beers. So I'm a little buzzed, too. How are you guys enjoying this victory? It was a great win, man. Like, to, to secure another winning season and then to have a chance to, to be in the playoffs again is crazy, man. I didn't think that it was happening. Uh, I didn't think that that would happen this year. So to be in this position, man, is great. I definitely did not either. I mean, I remember, I I mean, I basically said that we didn't have a shot really at getting in the playoffs because in reality, we had a, or do have a rookie quarterback, a rookie head coach, a rookie OC, a rookie quarterback coach. I mean, there was rookie, 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 not to mention the players. And I just thought it would take time for things to shape up the way they have. And the fact is that Domika Ryans has really made this defense turn around. Slowak has changed the offense. Obviously, CJ Stroud has had a historical performance as a quarterback. I mean, all in all, I could have not have predicted any of this. I I said that we would have won seven games and that would have been a good season. Now we're hopefully headed to the playoffs. So this is this is amazing. So let's get down and dirty and start talking about this game particularly. We'll get to the season stuff later on. C.J. Strout came back after uh, two weeks of not playing football because of a concussion. Damn MetLife and their damn concrete. And he completed 75% of his passes. They asked him to throw right around 30 times, which is right around what I wanted them to uh, them to ask him to do. And do for a little over 200 yards, one touchdown. I did say it was going to be a clean game. No fumbles, no interceptions. And that was the case. Obviously, we're playing against the Titans. And Will Levis didn't play that much because he, he had already a foot injury. And so he only threw for 16 yards. So his stats really aren't worth talking about too much. Ryan Tannehill, he was asked to throw about 20 times or exactly 20 times, had 80% completion rate, but only 168 yards. So, and obviously no no touchdowns at all, no passing touchdowns. So let's talk about the offense. I'll start with you, Leo. We'll go to the defense later on, but I want to know, what did you like on offense? Oh, uh, I mean, they pretty much kind of did a lot of stuff we had been talking about for weeks, working the quick game. They they ran screens on earlier downs, early like on first and second down rather than being like third and long. You know what else? I mean, we ran the ball well. I also I liked it, it was interesting to see Jordan playing more like H back, you know, fullback type role. And to see him like he he definitely he blocked well on a couple plays. He got he got kind of handled on the player too, too. But what I saw happen was he was definitely kind of more of a passing option than Beck was. So I wonder if that kind of created a little bit of like second guessing, oh shit, second guessing to win the offense when the offense or when the defense saw us when we gave them that look. I mean, shit, I mean, but other than that, that was pretty much it. They got the ball out of Stroud's hands 
way faster than they normally do. Josh, same question to you. Yeah, it's I mean, this game really reminded me of kind of what we we hope to see in the second half against the Saints. We saw that work of art they put he put out there in the first half against that higher quality defense. And it was really a kind of a continuation to me. They did a lot of great window dressing there. The misdirections they used, the motions, the play action, the loading of formations to one side, running it to the other, kind of really it kept the defense really flat footed. And it really allowed the Texans to be the aggressor, which really hasn't it's been kind of we've seen flashes of it throughout this year. And we've kind of seen like, all right, with the Niners and really just all great offenses in this league, though that's when you really see like things to really start popping off. And that's really what Stroud does best, right? When he can be the and people will get angry with this this label, but an elite game manager, super aggressive game manager. Kind of like in your and Leo and I were kind of messaging about this. Um, it's kind of like prime Drew Brees esque. Kind of just just getting the ball out. If you watch 2006 Saints, go back and watch that. You can kind of see a lot of the similar kind of things where you get the defense into a lot of situations where you get easy answers, and and then Stroud was just answering all the questions correctly. I I do agree. I know that people do have issues with that type of language, but in reality, you're not wrong. I mean, let's talk about the rushing game because we talked about it in the pregame. For those that didn't watch it, we do a pregame every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Central, and we talked about how important the run game was and that what we wanted Bobby to do was just because that CJ was back, not to ask him to throw 47 times the way that he did when we played against Baltimore, right? So uh, Devin Singletary had 16 carries for 80 yards. Five yards per carry. You could actually say that he could have gotten more carries, to tell you the truth. But, I mean, he was very, very effective. Damian Pierce had eight carries for 16 yards at two yards per carry. Devin Singletary's yards per carry were about, about five. His longest run was 24 yards as opposed to Damian Pierce, which was five. So the, the rushing game definitely helped. One of the things that really helped as well was protection. They schemed up protection. CJ Stratt was only sacked one time. Um, so that's something very important. We we also weren't necessarily great on third downs, but one of the things that you, if you watch the game, because the stats are a little weird, because if you look at third downs, it says, all right, we only converted 27% of the time on third downs. Um, but we converted when it was second down and then got to first. We didn't always wait to third down to actually get a first down. We had 20 first downs overall. Um, we only punted three times. Now, we should have punted four, but they had that penalty when they basically tried to kill Cameron uh, Johnston. We only had one penalty the entire game, offensive penalty, for six yards. That I mean, th that's great. Normally, we've been getting 60 to 70 yards worth of penalties, anywhere between six and 10 penalties. Very clean game. Like I said, no interceptions, no fumbles, one penalty. It, you really couldn't get much better than that. And then on top of everything, we won the time of possession. Why? Because we ran the ball. We didn't ask CJ to have your tremendous amount of, of dropbacks. We actually ran the game. We ran beautiful screens that had unbelievable blocking. Shout out to Michael Dieter and Juice Scruggs and Shaq Mason, who were pulling and really doing a great job on the blocking. Leo, I got to ask you, because I know that, I know both of you do, but I know specifically, Leo, you admire good blocking. What can you say about the blocking that you saw today that you really didn't see too much this season? I mean, it, this just did a good job, and it just seemed like there was a real emphasis on 
making things as easy as possible for everyone in the past game. Like there was like, like, I mean, how many, how many play action, like things that were really open, like in the flat, did we see CJ Stroud throw? I mean, so the block, they weren't asked to block forever. I mean, in the past game and then on the run game, I mean, yeah, Brevin Jordan did a good job blocking from his spot. I mean, shit, everybody, everybody just did well, man. Um, They gave, they gave the running backs. I mean, now Pierce is a whole nother story, but, but, but when there was indecisiveness on what the fuck we were going to do, like they did a good, really great job of blocking a good, a good run defense. So that's, I mean, yeah. No, you're good, man. And two things I saw that, like, really kind of helped the team that's not really known to have, like, quote-unquote great run blockers. The first thing is they used that misdirection and the motion and the, the mo- like, a lot. they had a lot of boot actions and a lot of uh, reverse actions, and it created angles for the run blockers to kind of get out and kind of seal edges and get there where their athleticism might not necessarily allow them to do it against a team that's been pretty good in the run game, right? And the other thing they did that at like an elite level, I think that's probably the best they've done all year, was the balance of run pass on first down. Mm. There was a certain point where it was like 10, 10 and 10. And sometimes it was play action. Sometimes it's just the quick game. I mean, we've all, all three of us been screaming from the rooftops that they should run more quick stuff and quick screens to Nico. And they even got Woods involved in that. And I think that really opened everything up and kind of, allowed them to kind of play the knowing that they physically couldn't really just lean on the team and kind of just push them around. They kind of had to create some like smoke and mirrors to get some better angles. I, I agree. Um, what, and one of the things that now when we obviously we made some predictions early, early on, I, uh, one of them um, was not just about Nico Collins, but Noah Brown. Noah Brown did not play a lot. So, I, I mean, I knew that he was questionable, but they did say he was going to play him. And I, and I think that was part of the reason that he wasn't as healthy as he needed to be to play a significant amount of snaps. But overall, Nico looked great out there. Seven catches, 80 yards, five first downs. I, I know some people don't really look at the amount of first downs. They, they just look at catches and yards. But this is significant. When you have someone like that, that can give you first downs and give you a fresh set of downs. That just opens up your entire offense. And Nico Collins is great at that. And by the way, guys, um, Nico Collins now has a 1,102 yards and seven touchdowns. He, his first two years combined, he did not hit that, right? He is having a great year, and he still has another game left, potentially could end the year with 1,200 yards. I publicly apologized to Nico Collins on Twitter because I, I said that, he, he was hurt a lot for the first two years, and I didn't think that he could stay healthy and have this type of game. I actually made some crazy comments, which, again, hey, everyone gets it wrong, and boy, am I happy that I was wrong. I'm a Michigan fan, too, so I was very, very happy when we drafted him. I was just let down by the injuries and stuff. I, I, I'm such a big fan that I actually got his jersey, number 84, when he was still in training camp before he switched to number 12, and then the injuries took over. But I got to say, I'm happy with Nico Collins. Leo, I know you've been a big, big proponent of Nico Collins. What can you say about the year that he's having? And you're on mute. Yo, like, I mean, it's it's not like, I didn't necessarily expect this from him, but, but I'll say one thing. I think, I, I think that 
when you factor in the 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 like basically his production last year, the last couple of years, he was basically on, on pace for like 700, 800 yards both years before injury, and that's like in two different offenses. And so I think that they had a clear, more clear path to use for him, and obviously quarterback play is better. So I mean, bro, it, it's it's shocking, but it's really not. I, I figured it would be. If he would have stayed healthy, it was going to at least be around 800, 800 yards. So for him to be right around 1,100, 1,200 is like, I kind of feel like that's kind of where he is as a receiver. Is going to, like, as long as he's relatively healthy throughout the year, is eight, eight, 800 yards to around 1,200 yards is feel like a realistic goal for him as long as he stays healthy. And I mean, potentially he could even get better as they add more talent and as he just continues to refine himself. So not to mention yeah. that, listen, I like, let's, let's just say if he has a great game against the Colts um, and Josh, I'm going to ask you this question, right? So he, he, let's say he has a good game against the Colts and he has like a hundred yard game. That's 1200, but he was also hurt a little bit, not a lot, right? Not like last year or the year before, but potentially he could have had, maybe a 1,500-yard season if he stayed healthy. Now, if we get another receiver next year, potentially that could happen. What What's your, I would say, where do you cap in that? Or do you not have a cap? Do you think that we haven't seen what Nico is? Let me Give me a little bit of your opinions of Nico Collins, how good of a year he's had, and what you think he's going to do in the future. Yeah, I mean, a uh, little hint, hint, you can look at our video. We did a whole great video. It was one of our first ones we put out there, kind of breaking down Nico and kind of what we see as his future production. But, I mean, he's been a real interesting guy that, that me and Leo have talked about really since he came out in the Senior Bowl when he lost all that weight at Michigan, kind of reinvented his body, kind of really dropped his – he turned from like a guy who was quasi, kind of flirting with the idea of moving to tight end to then now becoming – kind of rebuilding his body from the ground up and kind of leaning out and really running that 4-4 in the combine and shocking people and really kind of showing more and more movement every year. And the thing that this game really shocked me and really didn't really, I guess shocked is a word, but was his ability to adjust. They they overplayed him at an insane level in terms of playing him inside and trying to say, okay, you're not going to beat us on in-breaking routes because that's kind of his specialty, right? He runs that seam. He runs that kind of that that skinny post seam route. Sometimes he runs that dig route. He runs a slant. But you don't really see a lot of him running out routes. And there was a – I would say at least three-fourths of his catches were on out routes and, and little back shoulder throws and, and quick screens. They were still kind of quick screens coming to the ball, but those were all set up with like a – hesitation stuff to the outside and coming in I think there's a different level of athleticism and quickness that he's kind of reaching into now that that may even reach higher higher and push that ceiling up even higher especially if they can add some legit speed around him and kind of really stretch it moving forward okay um before we get to the defense though I wanted to just bring this up so I know that Devin Singletary does not have a thousand yards on the ground. Right now he has 835 yards, 4.3 yards per carry, three touchdowns, but he has another 191 receiving yards. So by scrimmage, just total scrimmage yards, all purpose yards, he has 1,026. So great pickup. I thought that he would have at max 700 total everything. He's obviously overshot that. I mean, obviously I thought that Damian Pierce was really going to kick ass this year and 
That obviously didn't happen. He's not fitting the scheme, but Devin Singletary picked up where we when we really needed a run game and has done wonders for us. But I want to get on the defense now because the defense really shined today, in my opinion. I liked, I loved Slovak's play calling. All right. I love the offense, but I have to say that the defense shocked me today. We had six sacks. Will Anderson had two. Derek Burnett had one and a half. Sheldon Rankins had one. Jerry's, Jerry Hughes had one. And Kurt Heinrich. Sorry, Kurt, I misspelled your last name right there. But Kurt Heinrich had, had a half a sack there. So overall, we had six sacks, three pass deflections, one forced fumble, and one fumble return. The first, the first defensive touchdown of the year. Amazing. Didn't think we'd see it. We, we saw it. Other things is that, what did we allow? Well, we did not allow a lot, to tell you the truth. They only were able to convert 8% of their third downs. 8%. Now, did they, they attempted four fourth down conversion attempts. They converted on two of those. Not bad. Now, we're talking like fourth and one, fourth and two here. Um, and they do have Derrick Henry. And so, overall, I think that... That was great. We forced five fumbles. We forced, we, I'm sorry, we forced five punts. We forced a fumble and we won time of possession. They lost it. And obviously, like I said, we had the first defensive touchdown of the year. One of the players I want to talk about specifically is Christian Harris. Christian Harris, in my opinion, has been one of the most amazing stories in terms of development. Because I don't think he was all that great when he first started in his rookie year. He made some good plays, actually. When we went to Tennessee last year, he made a, a great play on the, on the interceptions, but not overall. Now he has 55 solo tackles, 84 overall, one sack, one uh, forced fumble, five pass deflections, and five tackles for loss. And these stats, to tell you the truth, don't do it justice because they don't talk about the tackles that he's making to stop the runs. Yes, these are just tackles for loss, but the actual tackles that he's making to stop the run in my opinion, is insane. And not just that, he's also good in coverage, but these stats don't signify that. Leo, let me ask you, what have what do you think about Christian Harris's development? And are you excited about what you're going to see from him in, in the future? I think like Christian Harris, man, is a very like uh like a very, very interesting, unique player from from like he's the kind of player that everybody wants. And I feel like honestly. I hate to say it like this, but there's a lot of people that just don't don't really understand the linebacker position in general. It's it's people that when we drafted them, they were saying that he's going to be a Mike or is he a Mike or and all this stuff. And and I think that it's obvious to me that from the beginning he he was never really going to be that. He's not. He, I mean, maybe like in the perfect situation he could be, but he's a guy that he's basically like like a safety in a linebacker body. Like it's why that's why I always compare him to like Cam Chancellor. He's like if 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 you put Cam Chancellor in this modern NFL, like he would be a fucking I mean he obviously he might play box safety, but he probably is a linebacker. I mean he's bigger than most linebackers are. And so he plays with that type of violence, but he has coverage skills like a DB. So like things that he doesn't do like he plays with a lot of like physicality and stuff. But I just don't know if he's good, like, if one of his strengths is him taking on, like, oncoming, like, 300-pound blockers, right? So, which I feel like if you're going to be a real Mike, that's kind of what you have to be able to really, like, do well. So, I think he's a guy that can play in nickel and dime. 
nickel and base. And, and and if you do go three linebackers, he gives you he gives you flexibility to where like you might be able to run base more than you feel like you could if you have it, like I think he can match up with tight ends well, like guys that come run routes out the backfield. Um, he gives you a lot of flexibility. So, I, and I think like the thing about it, V, is like last year he showed these flashes too. I think that we all were kind of just confused on what the fuck he was, but he did show flashes of of being this. But the thing is, like we always said, like it's hard to grade players when there's so little around them. Like we're we're talking about a guy that. Last year was a weak side linebacker that played in a cover two system where we really wanted to play too high safety. And we had one of the worst run defenses in NFL history. So, of course, like it was a defense that if everything wasn't good around him, his his weaknesses were going to be kind of shown. So to say that, like it, it. I think there's a few like him and obviously Stingley. These players are going to get better and better. They're going to perform better and better as you add pieces around them that allow them to do their job better. So I think that we're still at the beginning of Harris. We the the, the there's a lot there's a lot of growth in in just potential in him that we haven't even seen yet. So Josh, let me ask you because uh, um, Leo gave us a lot of information on Christian Harris, but. What about Derek Burnett? He had two and a half sacks, one pass deflection, and seven tacks for loss this year. There's there's obviously dudes uh, that we did not expect, or at least I did not expect, to perform the way they are this year. Can you what can you tell me about Derek Burnett and are and what do you see his future here at the Houston Texans? Yeah, I think he's a he's a guy you can sign to like a minimal, like a three to five million dollar contract three, four years, and he can be a rotational third, fourth edge guy that can come in and produce for you. I think a guy like him, and the reason he kind of struggled in Philly was he didn't really have the linebacker play around him that kind of provided a lot of that speed and that kind of covered up because he's not the most incredible athlete. He's a guy who can play his role and can set the edge and knows how to stack moves together. But when now that he's playing with the guys like Blake Cashman and, and Christian Harris – over the top of him and, and some of the speed at the cross the D line that they have, it's really allowed him to kind of settle in and just play his role and kind of play the run really well and 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 really rush the passer in, in a way that really complimented compliments Will Anderson and, and Jerry Hughes and and Rankins and Grenard when he comes back and even Khalil Davis today who had had a really impressive day. I, I agree. And by the way, guys, I see your questions. I have started them. We will get to them. So don't think that I'm ignoring you. We'll get to them as soon as we get to that place in, in the show. So Jonathan Bernard was was obviously out today. On the year, he's had 12 and a half sacks, one forced fumble, two pass deflections, 15 tackles loss. But I want to talk about the duo here, Jonathan Bernard and Will Anderson. Will Anderson has seven sacks on the year, had two sacks today. He had He has pass deflection and eight tackles for loss and he said in the press conference today that the first thing that the entire d-line does is that he said it's all based about stopping the run before anything else it's about stopping the run stopping the run stopping the run now now there was a lot of questions about will anderson and the draft capital that we used to go ahead and trade him and now he's had seven sacks which is actually the franchise record for a rookie 
So in comparison, J.J. Watt had five and a half. Others had six. And so now he's now beat that. Uh, I'm going to bring this to you, Leo. I know that you've been one of Will Anderson's largest, biggest supporters. Uh, what did you think of his performance today? And then overall, I know the season's not over, so he maybe get eight sacks or more. But right now, what do you think of Will Anderson Jr.? And do you think the trade capital that we spent was worth it? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely worth it. I think that he was definitely even worthy of the second overall pick. So, yeah, of course, he was worth the trade. What did I see from him today? Just basically everything you thought that you thought that you when we drafted him. Super crazy get off, flexibility, strength, power to fight through a chip and the tackle and, and, and still get a sack. Um Really, really insane quickness to go with the strength that he has. And he's still like a raw, a raw player. I think that he's someone that you could build the whole defensive line around. And that's going to kind of be the the interesting thing about Grenard and him that is going to be interesting to see this offseason is like, I think that there's a way to build with him. That with both of them, and Grenard has been great, but it, it's just like also if there's a, if there's a line that they don't want to cross in terms of the contract, then you're building in a Will Anderson anyway. So, like, it's kind of like that's going to be the tricky thing about this offseason for Nick. Is to, but there is a definite way that you could play both of them at the same time. So, yeah, but I mean, he's been he's been everything I thought of. And I think I think part of his sack numbers, if you see how how he rushed from the other side today, like we were talking about kind of offline is like it makes you wonder how many more sacks he would get if he just was on the blind side and just kind of didn't have to play the role of being the big edge and being the guy that that made sure nothing got outside of him. If he could kind of just be more free rushing the passer, could you see more sack production? Which, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, he's playing a role in the defense and it is what it is. But, bro, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, It just comes down to getting the right players around him and Grenard. We we talk about that in our videos, me and Josh's videos on the channel, if y'all want to go back and watch it. There's definitely ways to, to, to build with both of them. For sure, a hundred percent. But it's just how much? How much is it? Is it ideal, or is it how much do they want to? Between the draft capital and the money that you would be spending on Grenard, what's going to happen? So I, I think, but yeah, bro. I mean, his get off is crazy. He won. He won. He won those sacks pretty much as soon as the ball was snapped, and that's pretty much it, man. Right. And and one thing that you saw too that was really interesting in this game that I was kind of interested going in to see how it kind of adjusted was you could tell he wasn't 100% out there, right? You could see after the play he was kind of dragging his leg a little and kind of getting through. But he showed a – and this is something that's really important with D linemen where they're not, most of the time they're not going to be healthy, right? And if, he, if a guy is having to lean on his athleticism 100%, we say he's raw, but he's – gotten to a point where he knows how to play around physical limitations and kind of still execute and and have one of his better games and take advantage of matchups that truthfully he should just dominate damn near every time he gets a one-on-one yeah i mean i think that it's clear that it was the right decision i think that as he develops more pass rush moves, he's going to get better and better. I think double-digit sacks could even happen this season. I know people were saying that that was a bar to see whether or not the tra- da- draft capital that we used was sufficient or, or too much or whatever. 
Um, but I think that even if it doesn't happen this year, because obviously three sacks in one game is a lot, he's going to get it soon. And I feel like you already see, as Leo said, his get-off is incredible. He's stopping the run. One thing to think about today is that um, D'Amico said during the press conference that Will Anderson was suffering a lot with pain. His ankle is not a small injury. It was something that he was really struggling with. And and I and I understand, Josh, you said like sometimes he, you, you saw like that he wasn't necessarily all there. He was really struggling with pain. And despite that pain, he had two sacks and he broke the franchise record. So shout out to Will Anderson for being a beast. And what I got to say, when, when you're a beast, that just for him. But let's talk about what the defense gave up. So Derrick Henry did not have as bad of a game as he had last uh, last time we played him, but it wasn't great either. He had 12 carries for 42 yards and three and a half yards per carry. Not not too, uh, horrible like it was last time for him but not necessarily great. He is used to getting seven yards per carry, five yards per carry. He just obviously wasn't the same because he, because of our rush defense. I mean, think about it, guys. We have the second best rush defense in the league, something that me and Leo, when we, when we did our spaces, we said that if we jump up from 32 to 20, it would be a huge improvement. We jumped up from 32 to two. Freaking insane. We held Jonathan Ward. Uh, three carries to 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, Tajay Spears did not register our yard. I mean, we just went after him. DeAndre Hopkins. So this is a question that HT asked. So I want to bring it up here. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins had seven catches for 72 yards. And from my recollection, most of that seemed to be either on Nelson or it was on PP once at least. Did they target Stingley at all? Because I honestly, I got to tell you, I in my, in my notes, I did not see them target Stingley. Did I miss it? I didn't. I didn't really see anything either. I mean, I don't really. I, could, I don't really. I didn't see. I didn't see not one target. Yeah, maybe some quick stuff on his side, but they they, they said we're gonna go after everyone else and and kind of give it a try, and obviously it didn't really work out for him. Which was catastrophic. Yeah. It was a, almost catastrophic to start the game with. They damn near did the same play that the Browns did and Burks just he just dropped, dropped the ball. It. So yeah. I mean yeah. No, we have we could have gotten screwed right there, but yeah, he dropped it. So Chig had three catches for 34 yards. Thought that he was gonna have a lot more. This year has not been the year that I think a lot of people thought that he was gonna have. So overall our defense did incredible. Um, like I said, we only allowed them eight percent. And and I just want to talk about again some of uh, the dudes that we signed up. So Sheldon Rankins, I've been very critical of Sheldon Rankins. Some of my criticisms had to do with, in my opinion, his effort after when he's when he's double teamed, right? We've seen though that he has stepped up over and over. Like after the Bengals games, I feel like he's gotten better actually against the run. Um, I don't think he was really that heavily uh, involved in run stopping until the Bengals game. And I feel like he's gotten better and better. On the year, he has six sacks, one forced fumble, and seven tackles for loss. Also, Blake Cashman, he's also hasn't been out there all the time because of injuries. He's had two sacks, one forced, one fumble recovery, one interception, five pass deflections, and nine tackles for loss. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, Blake Cashman, Khalil Davis, Derek Burnett, these are dudes that I did not think that would be as major impact players as they have been, and they have been excellent. 
I thought that the players that on defense that were going to shine was on our secondary. And boy, was I wrong because I thought our front seven was still going to be a little weak. Right. And it turns out that our front seven is kicking ass and our secondary is is a weak point. In fact, Leo, I think if you recall on spaces, I said that we would have a, a top five or a top 10 secondary. And it turns out that it's the opposite. Our front seven is being ranked very high and our secondary is being ranked very low. As far as today's performance and say the last couple of weeks performance, what comments do you want to make about the front seven and our secondary overall? Well, I mean, it's not that you're just you're wrong, man. I mean, it's just that you got to we all didn't really. Well, first of all, we didn't know what D'Amico was going to run. I mean, and we also didn't factor in. I think most fans and people in general didn't really factor in how Lovey definitely protected some players, right? Like Lovey's scheme protected Petrie a lot. I mean, and it protected Nelson a lot. And it, you know, and I don't think it limits his Stingley, but but it definitely like Stingley could do it is you can play anything. So it's it is what it is. So and then so it's like you go from there to like I think D'Amico's scheme also when we add we also added in we got we got Grenard for a full year this year. Um, you add in another like soup like superstar edge player. Like I mean, day one Will Anderson was like one of the best edge run defending edge rushers in the league, right? So um, you got between that and between us playing more cover three and stacking the box, we were bound to be better against the run anyway. But the thing is, is that we shifted when you there was less. So now there's less help that the corners have, but there's more help that the front seven has. So it's kind of like kind of like a shifted diagram of like deep from cover two to cover three. So um, it's not even necessarily like the, the secondary is le- less talented because it's technically more talented than it was the year before. It's just that there's more emphasis on different parts of the game. So guys get are getting exposed more. I mean, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's like, I wouldn't say that it's, it's I wouldn't say that you're, completely wrong it's just you were wrong about that it's just a different scheme like this scheme is built to make people it's built to stop the run right right so all right so let me get joshua because i want to ask a very particular question which is that um with, with lovey when we he ran cover two slash tampa two right tampa two had one very particular weakness which is or cover two has a weakness that you have an issue in the middle, right? And the, But with Tampa 2, you have your middle linebacker that drops in the coverage, and that middle linebacker is supposed to cover that hole. Now, obviously, we didn't have a great mic, so that really screwed us last year. This year, we run cover 3, and cover 3 helps in the run, but one thing that it does do is it lets all the underneath stuff, basically, it's pregame. Um, we get murdered on the underneath stuff. So my question to you is, how do you think... And I know we'll do a preview, but how do you think we can overcome this with the Colts? Because if we remember in week week two, they murdered us uh, with cover three by and because all they did is just threw underneath, threw underneath, threw underneath, and we were murdered. How do we overcome that next week? Yeah, I, I think I, it's funny you say it because right in my observations of this game while I was watching it, two things really flashed. One thing... I realized going from last year to this year is you got a full year of Blake Cashman and him and then Christian Harris taking that step at the same time made such a huge jump in the speed at linebacker. 
that it really condensed everything. And then as you bring that extra safety into the box, it condenses stuff further. The biggest issue that we've seen so far this year, like you said, against the Colts, against the the Falcons on that last two-minute drive, was that quick stuff underneath and then and then even the Jets game where throughout the game they got more and more looser underneath. I think this is the one of the first games where you've really seen from beginning to end where they did a good job of tightening up and saying, we're not afraid at all that you're going to be able to throw over the top of us and we're going to really kind of squeeze and then just kind of like Anaconda get tighter and tighter and force you. They got a couple of plays because of that. And they got a couple of shots to Hopkins where they got to those 70 yards. But it's kind of a situation where you didn't see the QB run game factor in that you could usually see with the tight ends. You didn't see, even when Levis was in there, he wasn't running at all. And then even with Tannehill coming in, who was healthy, you expect him to run more. So I think moving on to the Colts game, we'll get a real test to see, okay, was this just based off the team speed in general? that the tight ends were lacking or was it that because they still have guys like Spears right who were really dynamic and he had a couple plays that were kind of quick passes on the outside and he got a couple yards in the pass game but for the most part they did a really good job of just shutting down you caught the ball and there was really no yak situations so we'll see moving forward with a more talented and quicker team and the scheme being a little more advanced and kind of Minshew kind of leaning into that and kind of that's how he makes his money is that quick stuff underneath and setting guys up kind of cj stroud light we'll get to kind of i mean it's 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 not a great answer but the truth is this is like in my notes i say man this next game this game was a game you were supposed to win right you play your best game you're supposed to win this if you played the game the correct way and played to your strengths because your strengths matched up with their weaknesses right and what they did well you were able to stop. Move on with the Colts. They do the stuff that you struggle against. So it's either time it's time to put up or shut up, and it's time for can D'Amico and Bobby take that next step where they're going to be evenly matched in some of the talent aspect. Okay. I think that this thing that I keep playing. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? I think it's going to be time to throw that away because we were definitely a playoff team, right? We were we we're literally one game away from being in the playoffs. So I want to explain this because I know I had a, a bunch of DMs and messages about how we get in the playoffs. What are the situations? What, what, what are the issues right now? So right now, according to the simulation, the Jags have a 76% chance of making the playoffs. All right. the And the right now, they have a 60% chance of winning the division. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, they had over a 90% chance of making the playoffs and an 80% chance of winning the division. Yes, they beat the Panthers and they shut them out, but they had four losses in a row before this win. So they really struggled in the past few weeks. That has dropped their chances dramatically. The Colts have a 51% chance of making the playoffs and a 21% chance of winning the division. The Texans have a 47% chance of making the playoffs and a 19% chance of winning the division. So what does this mean? At at the end of the day, what does this mean? Well, the bottom line is if the Jags win against the Titans, which I suspect that they will, and the Texans win against the Colts, which I hope that we will, the Jags would become the fourth seed and the Texans would become the seventh seed. That'll knock the Colts out. Why? Well, the Jags 
would have a five and one divisional record, right? So that that would be that's how they uh, would be number one in the division. The Texans would have a four and two divisional record, and the Colts would have a three and three divisional record. So that's the question because a lot of people are confused by thinking that they beat us once, and if we beat them, then how how does that work? It goes by divisional record. So again, the Jags would be five and one, the Texans would be four and two, and we would be three and three. And that's basically all of the statistics on uh, how we actually can make the playoffs. What are the numbers? And I know that if you're looking at 47%, what? Well, just remember that 40, 47% is based on a lot of shit that has that a lot of us didn't think. I said we had no chance. Leo, I, I believe you said you had no chance, or we had no chance. John McClain on Twitter admitted that he said that we had no chance. So many people said we had no chance to make the playoffs, and here we are. So I understand the the number 47% may seem like it's it's a dream to make the playoffs, but all we have to do right now is beat the Colts. Now, I did not watch the Colts game, but I did look at the stats, and obviously I will watch it later on, and it seems like what they did is they ran the ball. They ran the ball down the Raiders' throats and winning time of possession. And they were actually down for certain parts and they struggled, at least from the statistically. This is how it looks, right? And so they ran the ball a lot. Now, what's our strength? Run defense. So my real concern with the Colts is that that we can stop the run, right? Jonathan Taylor had a really good game. I think he had over four yards per carry. I think it was 4.4 yards per carry. Really good game at around 90 yards or so. He had a really good, really good game running the ball. And if we can stop the run, the thing is, how do we stop Minshew from just eating us in zone? And Josh explained that. That is my question. We're not going to do too much of a preview here, but I do want to give Leo a chance to talk about this since we, both me and Josh have. Leo, do you have just, in just a few minutes, what do you think is our biggest issue with the Colts and how do you think we can overcome it? And you're on mute. Steven Nelson. Steven Nelson is our biggest issue. <laughs> yeah. Steven Nelson and... Uh, <laughs> He's already dead. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest issue. I mean, I mean, bro, like, we're, we're like, our run defense is, like, greatly improved since the first, since, you know, we played them. I mean, so like, I mean, but so like a lot of stuff has changed since we played them. Like our run defense is way better now. Stingley is playing like, like lights out now. I mean, he was then, people just weren't trying them then. So I guess we'll never know. But, but like we gave up a lot of stuff in the flats. So, but I mean, I don't think we were giving up too many big plays downfield then. So I guess that's the only difference that I see is that are they really willing to to try him deep? Because Gardner Minshew has made some deep throws, and they have two they have two receivers that can win. Well, really, I mean, if you want to count downs, also, so they yeah, got do. three. They yeah, they have three guys that can win deep. Two of them are big. So I mean, I've seen Nelson get pretty fucked up by receivers similar to Alec Pierce and Pittman the last few weeks. So uh, I think it kind of just comes down to what he's going to give up. I mean, because I I mean, if we could kind of just just be similar to how we are in the run game and just like not give up big plays over the top and then I mean, just not just keep them keep them from like just feeling like a little check down can turn into a first down on third downs. 
I think you, excuse me, on offense, like, I mean, on defense, you put yourself in a position to win. Uh, were you just specifically asking about defense or were we talking offense? Also? No, I, I mean, particularly defense, honestly. Because yeah, that's, that's, that's how I feel. That's, yeah, that's how I, I mean, Steven Nelson. Right? Steven Nelson, yeah. Yeah, Steven Nelson's the linebacker game. How the linebackers handle that, all that discipline of all that fancy ass motion they do with downs pre-snap, right? I mean, that was the thing that gave us so much fucking trouble the first time. And then they would, then they would jump up and stop downs. And then you have the, I think Grand is it Grandson? Is that the Titans' name? He got a couple of big plays running down like a deep corner route or a flag route or a seam and yeah. it just kind of how do you react to how do you stop the run and limit I think I think that was a game without giving in up the play action right that was a busted coverage though I, I think okay on, on the big on the long one that happened at the first half I think it was a blown coverage you know okay so, okay yeah yeah so but was that blown coverage because of overcompensating the run game I know we'd have to look yeah. back and see but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of he. That's what that. That's what Steichen drives people crazy with is he just puts you in constant conflict. Yeah. Right. So the last question is, who gets the game ball? Leo, you're up first. Who gets the game ball today? Hold up, I gotta pull up the numbers and shit so I can see. Make sure I remember this shit right. Nico had a good game. Pierce, I mean, Singletary had a good game also. Um, but but I'm going to give it to what's his name, man? To Will Anderson, man, for having, like, two dominant wins, two dominant, you know, sacks. I mean, doing things that people couldn't – that said he couldn't do, bending the edge, you know, with two people on his back. So, I mean – bending, bending the edge with a with a bent ankle, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, I'm a guy. I got to give it to, to Nick, not Nico, to Anderson this week. All right. Fair enough. Josh, let's hear your answer. I mean, I really, I, I try to find some sexy, creative way to go with this. But man, for Stroud to come back in this kind of pressure environment and not overdo it and not really force it. He had, like, one play on the sideline where he had a guy underneath and he kind of forced it and it was an incomplete pass. But that was literally the only bad decision he made all game Again, in a, in a, against a team that all they do is pressure you and try to beat the shit out of you to try to get you to make mistakes. And he was just such a cool customer coming off the concussion. I was kind of worried about, like, is there any leftover shit going on where you get hit in the head and you're kind of a little gun shy? And there was none of that. And it was super impressive. I, I, I mean, it's not, it's not. You could also go Nico because he basically carried the pass game on his back. But I think I'm, I have to go Stroud. All right. Um, before I give my answer, I, I want to answer this question real quick. Do you think our Week 18 game will be on Sunday night? I think it gets flexed. We are an insane division right now. Everyone said that we're supposed to be the weakest division. You got three teams that all could be, like, well, really should be in the playoffs. I'm not saying could be, but really should be in the playoffs, all with the same damn record. So the implica- implications are huge. And I could see the Texans and Colts game getting Lex, the Colts are a very good team. They're on the up and up. The, the Jaguars are actually the downward trend, right? They won against the, the Panthers, which 
are basically the second worst team, or actually the worst team in the league right now. The Bears have the first pick because of their loss. And so they were supposed to win that game by far, but they lost the last four. So I don't think the Jaguars get picked up as a flex. I think it really could be the Texans and the Colts. So there's a damn good chance. Now, to answer the question, who gets the game ball? I'm going to give you a funky answer. If you guys don't like it, I'll give you, quote, unquote, a real answer. But my game ball goes to Bobby Slowick. Um, it goes to Bobby Slowick because of the, the play calling was literally perfect. There wasn't a single play that I questioned. I thought he did an excellent job. He ran the ball. He did not ask his quarterback, who just came back from injury, to do too much. He used Singletary properly. Even when he was trying to use Xavier Hutchison and run the ball, he did it properly. He tried to do a little reverse and stuff like that, and it actually worked. I mean, like, there really was, I would say, he only got cute and did one trick play. He didn't go nuts about it. And what I really like about it, this was consistent. The drives were great. Now, we have an issue with we have to finish off in the red zone. Like, that has been an issue from day one. But again, we have a rookie OC, rookie head coach, rookie Wookie QB. I mean, I've been saying this the whole time. Um, that's been our issue. But I will say that overall, our drives were really well. We spent five plus minutes just marching downfield and converting and converting and converting. And so my game ball goes to Bobby Slowick. So I got to ask you, do you guys accept that? Or do I have to give it to a player? No, that's fine. That's fine. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys for anyone that actually stayed through the whole thing. I want to tell you guys, you should check out our YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube and search for Texans 22, or you can actually type the whole thing in and it's at Texans 22 podcast. We have Cody M. Davis coming Tuesday and we have some big news showing up on Tuesday. So you want to subscribe and be down for that on Wednesday after the, after the crazy, awesome news, uh, Josh and Leo's a video will be released. So there's two parts and part one will be on Wednesday. So guys, we have a lot of new stuff. We appreciate you. I, we know that we're a new podcast. Um, you've all seen our faces before elsewhere, but th- we are a new podcast and I appreciate you giving, giving us a chance. And just like always, just remember, Texans 22 always has your back. Texans 22, breaking it down. Podcast got the city vibing to the sound. Special guest dropping out, it's so true. Texans 22.